Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. A little bit of a different episode today, given, I don't know, the state of what's going on with the NCAA, college football, college sports in general. Realignment seems to be the thing people want to talk about, want to hear about, even though we're still 18, 19 days away from actual football being played. So I decided why not bring in someone that eagles into the weeds of college business pretty well. Um, so I decided to bring on, thankfully, someone that I love reading and look up to in the writing world, Matt Brown. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, it's it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, should be fun. Happy to have you. So one thing I like to do whenever someone comes on is make sure we get all conference affiliations or school affiliations. I don't need people yelling at someone going, well, he's just an FSG fan. He's sure. just a Clemson sure. fan. So for the audience, hats are on the table. Who, who, what have you picking up? Sure, sure. No, sure. It's, it's, it's fair, right? So I, I grew yeah. up in Bumblefart, Ohio. I, I, I went <laughs> to, not really, Licking County. Uh, I, I went to Ohio State. And while working in this industry for the last decade does beat some of that fandom out of my system, like, do I want, if, I, if they're on TV, do I, would I like to watch Ohio State beat Minnesota by 42? Yes. Like, and, and, and that's the world that, that I, I grew up in. Um, I also did uh, part of my undergrad at American. So on the off chance there are any Patriot League homers here, um, I'm happy to join you in any Holy Cross slander, if, if you would like. That's, that's, that's the perspective coming, coming from here. I, I don't know how much awake you you kind of follow. We did actually just hire a former Holy Cross great and Audi Confessor as our wide receiver coach. So I didn't I didn't know that crossover was coming. Also, I drove past American for the first time this weekend. I live yeah. in DC. Never have drove, driven past there ever. <laughs> well, there's no reason to go right because because it, it's it's tucked into the the northwest really residential part right. of the city, um, and it's not super close to a metro stop or anything. I mean, it, no. it's real pretty. Um, I would not recommend it's worth the money to go there as an undergrad unless like you're you aspire to be on the West Wing when you grow up, which yeah. I, I did as a high schooler. And when I got there, I'm like, oh my God, no, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> I need to be around normal people. Uh so it's 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 not one that you would see as often <laughs> compared to the other ones like downtown. True, fair, fair, fair. Yeah. So Matt, before we get into the nitty-gritty of stuff, you know. How did you end up in the business of college sports? You know, what is, I'm, you're the writer of Extra Points, newsletter that I subscribe, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you subscribe as well. You know, what is that and how did you end up there? <laughs> Let me answer the second one first, right? So like what is Extra Points is a newsletter that covers the off the field forces that shape the college sports industry. Uh, it publishes four days a week. And it includes original reporting. It includes uh, detailed analysis. And it's right. I, I write a lot about stuff like NIL, media rights negotiations, realignment, all the way down to the Division II level, uh, you know, uh, fundraising development, like all, this, all the back end stuff that I think shapes what schools sponsor sports, what they want to get out of them, and the success and health of those departments, which even, okay. even for Wake and certainly I think for anybody else in the ACC, you recognize. That's a big part of the world. Even before Florida State trying to burn down the conference in, in public, <laughs> these kind of factors shape on-field success. Um, and is a part of a company called D1 Ticker, which is one of the larger B2B college sports industry brands. Your athletic director reads D1 Ticker. Almost every AD reads D1 Ticker. Not, they don't all read extra points yet, but, but many of them do. Soon, soon right? Along with... Uh, people studying sports management, a lot of other reporters, and then just regular fans. I try to write to all, all of that audience. How I got here is a long, and, and I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to give it the Clifton's version here. Like I got into this by accident. I, I don't have a journalism degree. 
my first job was teaching fourth grade in New Orleans. I worked as a political organizer for a little bit. I worked in human resources. I wrote a lot at night and I kind of fell into this industry through the back door. Um, because, and then I, I was able to get a full-time job at SB Nation because they needed somebody who had writing experience. I had written for covered high school football for a bunch of newspapers and done traditional stuff, but they also wanted somebody that had like a training background and was interdisciplinary enough that they could do some business things. And I had, I had done a couple of different jobs so that that was a good fit. And I learned how to be a reporter there. And I was there for seven and a half years. It was mostly a good job. At the end, it wasn't such a good job. But they decided they don't want to be in the sports business anymore. So they got rid of most of their sites. They laid off almost all the, the, the sports writers. And that's where I had to go into business for myself. It's 2020. It's the COVID pandemic. And I realized, like, look, man, I'm in my 30s. I got a wife. I got kids. I got a mortgage. I got bills. I'm not doing that <laughs> for $38,000 a year entry-level blogging crap anymore. And even and like I, I don't have the energy for it. Right. I want to write about the stuff that's most important and unique to me. And what I realized is that I'm really interested in this in the weed stuff. I had, you know, because I've done political work, I've been done education, done educator work. I've grew up in a family of educators and I was interested in how this stuff fit together. And they're not the kind of things you can write about if you're going to need, you need 500,000 page views to make a profit. If you're making money on programmatic ads, you got to chase scale. It means you got to write about Alabama's quarterback, but the whole internet's writing about Alabama's quarterback. And I don't have anything more interesting to say. Than the guys that live in Alabama have. So like right. I needed to zig where everyone else was zagging. I've written more about UConn football than I have Alabama <laughs> football on extra points. And I, you know, I make most of the money from subscriptions. It's sell some ads, but mostly sell subs. And I'm really blessed that that has worked out. And so I have a system now where I can dig into these little kind of nerd questions and rabbit holes that may not be interesting to everybody. But they're interesting to enough of the right kind of people that it can be a business, um, which is, I think, makes for a better Internet. No, I mean, I definitely agree. And we're going to hold on to that SB Nation thought for a little bit later, because I think that's going to play in sure. a bit. So well, mm-hmm. something I want to talk about. But I do think it's interesting just to have someone to read that deals with just how the sausage was made, because I think we've seen through the realignment stuff, whether it was Texas and Oklahoma, USC, UCLA, and now with the entire pack four starting to implode people, you start seeing people just kind of throw stuff at the wall and saying, Oh, well, this team's going to go here. This team's going to go here. And and start having to peel back the layers and say, that's not how this happens. And so we're going to funnel. I'm going to try to funnel this a little bit. So when this all started happening, I guess, two years ago with Texas and Oklahoma, or I guess three years ago, Texas and Oklahoma, was that a shock to you? Like what, what kind of went through your mind in terms of like, is this like, is this great for business for your business? Or is this what on earth is happening right now? It's a little both. Like I was not at all surprised that Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the big 12. It was a little bit of an open secret in the industry that they were expected to hit free agency the timing was a big shock. Um, the, the the consensus among ADs and many of the consultants that I talked to on a regular basis was that this was probably happening a year later than it actually happened. And so the, the when when it, when the Houston Chronicle story dropped, you know, like right before SEC media days, it blindsided a lot of people. I did not know what those back end conversations were happening. So then it's a lot of things all at once. So you're trying to get up to speed. What did I miss? Who was I? You know. How did my sources, how did myself not see this coming? Like, let's work backward and try to understand. Let's try to figure out what this means for everything else. Like in the short term, it is good for business. Um, I wish it wasn't always happening every late July so I could have an off season. You know, <laughs> right? But but it, I, it was also, I, I reacted emotionally to it. 
and and I, I have over the, the what happened the last week there too because pretty quickly I realized that this is a I think the beginning of a catalyst and last week I think will be even more so towards greater consolidation um, and and uh, the super conference fever dream is something that's been pitched by sports radio and message boards for a long time and normally I would blow it off because presidents would blow it off or ads would blow it off and the idea of ha- of wanting to be somewhere new your academic and institutional peers and 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 kind of draft off other academic prestige that matters to the people who make decisions and in an era with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC and with Fox and ESPN you know being as engaged and active in this process as they are that changes a lot of those assumptions uh, and I while that was in the short is it you know this these things are in the short term good for business and God knows there's a lot to write about. I don't think it's good for the enterprise as a whole, um, whether that's USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, a nationalized Big 12 or any of those things. I think the, the, the negatives outweigh the positives. So you mentioned that it's felt like ESPN, Fox and whoever has started pulling a little more strings. I feel like it's important to educate everyone's podcast. It's the first one. So sure. Those the networks, you have the networks, you have your ADs, you have your presidents. Who has more of who is more of the puppet master out of those three in terms of pulling the strings here? Yeah, in terms of realignment, practically speaking, ADs don't have that much influence. And 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 it varies, you know, depending on money and complexity of the situation. You know, not to there's no way to say this, so I sound like a dick, but like part yeah. of the reason, like that, like people talk to me is because sometimes I find out about some of the stuff before ADs do. Right. Um you know, given given who talks. So they, they are important, they're in the meetings, but they don't make the final decisions. And the AD at, say, Iowa might not have known about Oregon and Washington much earlier than Andy Staples would learn about it, for example. Uh-huh. Right? The AD at Oregon, you know, Rob Mullins knew, but, but you know, that's, that's how this world works. The presidents are the most important people, nominally. They are the ones who actually vote. They are the ones that are in every single one of of the meetings with conference commissioners and that are the ones that have to approve media rights negotiations. And they set the agenda um, for commissioners. Right. Uh, Your Greg Sankey does not do anything unless he knows that the SEC presidents support it. You know, like that's that's that that's his board. Um, And on on some level beyond that, there may be regents. There may be board members that the the president has to report to that may be involved in these conversations. But when you're talking power five, when you're talking institutions that are heavily dependent on broadcast money, these realignment decisions don't happen without the I mean, uh, close partnership with <laughs> broadcast partners. It isn't necessarily ESPN says this, so it needs to happen. Um, but it's not not that. Uh, right. and, and, you know, it, it's, it's different because I read a lot about mid-major realignment and low-major stuff here, too. And like. The big sky might add or subtract a team without ESPN plus the carry or, or that big right. factor. If it's 500, 800 grand here, one way or the other, everyone lives. What the ACC is doing and what the Big Ten just did <laughs> and what everybody else is doing, you know, Disney has to be on speakerphone. Like they're, they're going to be right. involved because that's where the money is coming from. And, that, right. and that's, what you're, that's what you're dependent on. So... I feel like that kind of gets to where we were about a week and a half ago, where no one kind of knew what was happening with the Pac-12 dissolving. No, everyone thought, well, it hasn't dissolved yet, but we went from about a 48-hour period of Oregon and Washington are staying, this thing is all coming together, to 
45 minutes before a phone call at 9 a.m., they're going to the Big Ten. Is that something that is just by Fox? Is that something by Oregon and Washington just deciding it wasn't wasn't very wasn't right for them to stay? Like what kind of what is that? Really. Yeah, I, I, and I'm still trying to completely nail down the TikTok here. One of the really big challenges of trying to cover big time conference realignment while it's happening is that you got to think about who's sharing information. Right. And people generally don't share information because they think you're handsome or because <laughs> they, they care a lot about educating the public. People have got an angle. Right. And so you kind of have to ask yourself this was a very big deal, I think, with the Pac 12 and Big 12 posturing over the last year. is is this coming from somebody at ESPN or Amazon trying to negotiate in public? Is it coming from a rival conference executive or AD that's trying to inspire fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or give themselves political cover for doing something unpopular? Is right. it somebody trying to trade information? And sometimes it could be, it could be bullcrap, and the the source is just trying to figure out who's going to blab, right, or or kind right. of track down to who's talking. Um, so some of the stuff that gets put out there, or it could just be made up, right? Because there's cloud right. chasers for realignment all the time. Of course, so they don't actually have sources. What do you mean that guy with two thousand followers on Twitter wasn't right? What do you or, mean? Or, or, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the next big realignment move that's broken by a radio station host is going to be the first. It's <laughs> not. That's not how this stuff works. So, um, I, I I don't know if I know enough to say like this is definitively what happened. What I, I know enough to say that there was real interest in keeping the pack eight or ten or whatever number together, even at diminished money. But the terms of the last Apple deal were so poor in conjunction with Fox being willing to open their wallets more for the Big Ten made Oregon and Washington feel like they didn't have a choice. And if they don't feel like they don't have a choice, then Utah and Arizona State feel like they don't have a choice. Like the, the weird thing about like that movie in particular is nobody but Colorado and not even all of Colorado are right. really excited to be in their new place. And right. Arizona State and Utah like, are kind of blunt about it. Like, we don't want to be here. <laughs> we are here because our house burned down, not because we like our new neighbors, <laughs> right? And and that's just because of whether that's fear or greed or improper information or, or whatever it is, people make decisions that they don't like and they realize are going are gonna to hurt their constituents. But that's kind of how the system works. Yeah, that's fair. For those of you who are thinking, why does Utah think about that? Just Google BYU Utah and you'll get a lot of information of why those two never want to play each other ever again in, in their lives. No, but no, well, one of them does. One of them one does. Of them one does of the sides does yeah, not want to do it that. Is, at is all. A, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a, the good ACC equivalent to the Holy War in terms of just like pure, unadulterated personal spite. And I think that's in North Carolina, NC State. Yeah, in terms that, of close proximity, snobbery, blue collar, <laughs> white collar kind of kind of situation. Like it, it's that, but add God to the mix. Pretty much uh, that. Yeah, I think, and I think Utah also has to deal with now TCU. Who, if you're a big Mountain West guy from back in the day, those had some wars. So that's going to be really fun for them. True, but too. one of the big things I think people start thinking about and started writing about is travel, and that, that's where I'm going to kind of try to move this into the AC a little bit. Yeah. How on earth is travel going to work from, I know Rutgers is always the, the punching bag right now, but how is it going to work from someone like Washington going from Seattle all the way over to College Park, Maryland? Like what's the, what is the cost of that, of that happening? Not just in football, but for basketball. It's, it's millions of dollars. And, and what I think people need to understand here is that the, the cost is not just 
go into Google Maps and put the two addresses and look at the total mileage. So the, a couple of things, just, you know, forgive me, I'm going to get real in the weeds here. Uh, why, <laughs> why this stuff matters. Go for it. One is where you fly. Um, Penn State, for example, right now doesn't have a big enough local airfield for a charter flight to land on campus. Um, you know, most of these, I think, I think particularly for equipment, have to go into like, uh, you know, 45 minutes away. Right. Um, Oregon, for some of their sports, flies out of Portland. It doesn't always fly out of, out of, out of Eugene, right? Um, so, so sometimes in West Virginia, I think, has this situation too. So sometimes you have to go, you have to, there's travel time to get to the airport, right? Then you have time zones. Um, a three-hour flight uh, from Arizona to Seattle is a pain in the butt. But a three-hour flight from the Pacific time zone to the Eastern time zone for an athlete is dramatically worse. The body clock jokes that we all got off when that when Stanford lost to Northwestern at noon that one time, those weren't, <laughs> I mean, those are funny jokes, but it was a real thing. Like athletes will tell you it takes time to acclimate to significant time changes. You do it habitually. It hurts your legs. It, it limits your athletic performance. And in college, we typically don't have the budget or the luxury to spend four days acclimating to a new time zone like the NBA and the NFL do. Um, it's it's two days. It's a quicker turnaround, and you're constantly traveling if you're for basketball or for volleyball or anybody that has midweek games. And so right. we just have to acknowledge that. The actual athletic experience for some athletes on the West Coast, and this will be true for Cal and Stanford if they end up joining the ACC, it will be worse. They will not be as good at sports if they are playing in Maryland and Virginia and Florida. Uh, it, it's still significant to go to the East to the West, but uh, – uh, peer-reviewed peer-reviewed research I've seen shows it's not as bad okay. as going from west to east. So that that's a factor. You have the equipment that has to be schlepped everywhere as a, as a factor. And the other other important thing here is that most Olympic sport programs, even with big money, don't get to charter. It means you have to fly commercial. And as a Midwesterner, what I can tell you here is that that means you're relying on Chicago O'Hare where stuff <laughs> doesn't work all the time, like it, especially in the winter. Uh, just delays happen and things get, get backed up there. The example in your neck of the woods would be anybody that's got to fly into Charlotte or Atlanta. Um, nope. You can get a lot of direct flights to those places, but things given that things are all interconnected, if it's raining in Atlanta, the whole South is backed up. Right. Um, and, and so if you are uh, you know, you need that for a connection to go get to campus on time for this enormous travel. All it does is create more points where schedules can break down, games can get delayed, or athletes have to play at, at lack of peak performance. For football, it really isn't that big of a deal. It's not ideal for extensive travel because you only do it once a week. Um, and there's so much money involved that, I mean, even in Conference USA, the football teams usually charter. Right. Um, you can mitigate some of those differences, but it's for everything else, including men's and women's basketball, where extended time zone travel has really significant costs. To say nothing of it, it's a lot of money. It's a, it's a, unless you own an airplane, and most people don't. It's a, it's it's you have to subtract that from that fancy new television deal, right? Like, okay, now I'm getting you know forty million dollars, but I got earmark three and a half right away for just more flights. So I'm going to get back to Stanford and Cal a bit, but you mentioned airplanes, which brings up a lovely, I would say, bashing of the ACC we got from Florida State about a week ago from their board of trustees and them yeah. saying how much you're studying aviation law and looking at buying a couple of planes. 
Before I get into the legality of them actually leaving the ACC, what what went through your mind when that just kind of blew up on on Twitter X? I don't know what it what it is anymore, but I mean, I don't think buying an airplane is the worst thing in the world if you're a big time athletic department. Uh, Florida has them, and it, even yeah. even if you're not using it, I mean, like it, it helps for other Olympic sports travel. You might need it for recruiting. Um, some right. coaches, you know, do do that there. Florida State's able to go buy two for nine million dollars. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I studied their itemized budget and can tell you that's <laughs> a bad idea. Like, that makes it that, that that that's not crazy. Like, Ohio State has a plane. Texas has a plane. Like, right. that would make sense. If we want to talk about them leaving the ACC. Here's kind of there's 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 two things I think here to con- to consider because I actually think this is an enormous enormous story. Florida State knows what they're doing. Yeah. When they go to these public meetings here and just in person nulls Twitter, you know, into a microphone, right? And what they're trying to do beyond sending a message to their own boosters who are very upset about this, their own community talking to them, is they're trying to create fear, uncertainty, and doubt with other major ACC institutions. And the reason for that is because leaving the ACC is going to require Either it's absolutely enormous check, 400 to 500 million dollars if you want to leave right now, buy out the grant of rights, buy out the exit fee, buy out uh, unresolved intellectual property issues. It's enormous. Or you got to take them to court where you might win, you might lose, but it's going to be very expensive, very risky, and very politically damaging. You can knock down the costs of either of those if you can convince somebody else to file with you or begin that fight with you, you can diffuse the blame. And so the more people think in FSU's eyes that, by God, we're really going to do it, our fingers on the button, we're, we're mad enough, we're going to do this thing, the more they might be able to, to, to convince some ANSI region at Clemson or Miami or somebody right. else to, to join, and then maybe that lowers the cost. So that's, that's one factor. Whether that's going to be successful or not, I do not know the hearts of every car dealer and a governor appointee <laughs> everywhere in the Southeast and, and enough to tell you that answer right now. Ask Dave Hale. I don't, I don't, I don't know that yet. The other thing though, which I think is really important for Wake fans and important for anybody is how Florida state is thinking about paying that gigantic money. Cause here, here's the honest to God truth, right? Nobody has $500 million liquid. Texas doesn't Ohio state doesn't Stanford might not. Um, and, and you can't finance, you can't, you can't pay this in installments. Like you've got to right. cut the check immediately. So right. nobody can pay it. The only people that can are institutional investors or private equity, which is what Florida state is reportedly looking at doing. They've called up JP Morgan. They've had a reportedly long talks with sixth street, which is, which is a gigantic private equity firm. And they're looking to get someone to finance the deal. Now, that's not legal in every state. It is. It might be legal in Florida. Like that's a very complicated tax question. And I, I want to report on it more here. But this is what I think is very important. This happens in European soccer. This happens in, in other entities where uh, a team might sell their media rights revenue or their ticket revenue into a shell company and then sell investor or control or investments in that shell company. But if you miss your targets. If private private equity is not here to lend you money at two and a half percent, man, like they, they want control. And if you're a soccer team and you do that and you and you miss targets, they're liquidating the soccer team or or they're 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 taking control of a lot of those assets, which is part of why this doesn't happen in college. If Florida State can pull this off, one, they're putting up an enormous risk, right? Because maybe Sixth Street decides to cancel the soccer program or double ticket prices. Right. Private equity does that kind of stuff. But if they're successful, 
This means that there's nothing holding any league or any large school together anywhere. It means that there's nothing stopping Ohio State or Michigan from doing the same thing or Alabama or Sixth Street from going to the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund or Bitcoin Inc. or I don't know, whoever, and creating a college sports champions league. Right now, there's a lot of political red tape and legal agreements and big buyouts that make that not so appealing. But if you could do this once, I would look at that and think, all bets are off. You are moving into the Champions League uh, or the Europa League, and and there's some major costs that come with that. Yeah. Um, so I, if you remember the espionation little tidbit I said earlier, I mean, we have a use case of private equity sticking their nose into sports. It's happened with espionation. It's happening with the Athletic right now in the New York Times. Yeah. We we understand that this isn't necessarily the best idea, and I think a lot of Florida State and their contingents tendency knows that it isn't the best idea, but it's still, I feel like a little bit worrisome that that idea is even being floated out. I also think we have another use case in terms of a sport getting a little bit too big for the britches with NASCAR. We have it like just NASCAR was both was this huge, extremely regional sport that everyone thought could not fail. And then, you know, NASCAR isn't exactly defunct at this point. It's still a popular sport, but it's nowhere near what it was. We have these use cases, baseball, yo, yeah, baseball. We have these use cases of these sports that are too big to fail, continuing to not not fail, but really just be a shell of themselves. Why do you think people still try to keep going down this road? Well, but if it fails 10 years down the line and you're not going to be there in 10 years, what the hell do you care? I mean, Gene Smith Smith is leaving Ohio State, so. (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't say that glibly. I I honestly think that's, that's, That's the real situation here, right? Like if you are an AD or a president, chances are you're not going to be there in six years. That that, that job is changing. Uh, That role is changing. It's not the the Gene Smiths of the world are are a dying breed. Um, And so if you have an opportunity to do something that's in your very best short-term interests, it's uncommon for someone to turn that down because they think it might hurt the product in 15 or 20 years. When you multiply that kind of decision-making process across 300 different schools, and all these different conferences where the commissioner is going to be gone in four and a half years here too, you end up with governance challenges where I think almost everybody agrees like, you know, this stuff sucks and we're moving down a, a, a bad road here, but they're going to do it anyway. Like for Florida State, um, I think a, any intellectually honest or smart Florida State family would say there's enormous risks to this. But they'd also say, look, the school and the surrounding community have put up an enormous real estate development around that stadium. And if the programs are relevant, um, then a lot of people lose money, including maybe some people that are politically connected to the Board of Regents or to the governor or other places here. And, and you have to take a risk, right? There's, there's, there's a downside in standing still, to your, standing still here too. Um, I would say I don't think that risk is worth it, but I, I understand intellectually what, why, why Florida State might think that they have to. Um, could be a risky move though. Right. And I, and I feel like I, I do get, and I think that's one side of the coin that I don't think a lot of fans, even at Wake or Boston College or Syracuse, personally, I, I understand Florida State trying to figure out every way out of the ACC. I think out of the 14 schools that have looked at the grant of rights, 14 schools are looking at it being like, how the hell do we get out of this and where do we go next? Just because sure. this is, if you're an AD, yes, you're dealing with student athletes, you're still running a business at a certain point and you got to figure out what's the best way to keep things going. But I guess the question now turns to a guy like Jim Phillips, who I feel like has been regarded as someone who hasn't really done a lot and really tried to dig in his heels. 
does a move like Stanford or Cal or SMU who is deciding to even just light money on fire just to join the AC at this point, does that move the needle enough to make anyone happy? Yeah, the, the, it's it's a tough situation, right? Because and and I I will say this: I, I'm not going to pretend to know Jim Phillips super well. I I think I know him well enough to know that there's a little bit of a romantic in him, and that like he doesn't view all of this this industry in cold blooded financial terms. And right. I, I would say I think it's fair to categorize him and many school leaders in the ACC as people that really believe in the holistic student athlete experience, or the idea that like they actually care that the tennis team is going to class right. or, that, or that they care that uh, people have the athletes have enough time to have other campus experiences or that you have a holistic department. Um, they're not so, you know, idealistic or ideological as to be the Ivy league, but you know, like there's most people enter the business thinking about it this way. And that's not how television executives or attorneys from outside college sports tend to think about it when, when they're in the big chair, that's not what the ACC is. So I could see a world where they decide to bring in Cal and Stanford, even if it's not bringing in huge money for those ideological reasons, thinking, hey, this is a great academic fit. We owe it to college sports to give these guys a stable place to be. We uh, this this elevates athlete experiences here in other ways. And if we make an extra 500 grand, great. Like, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I am saying like that's, you know, that there's enough of that that you have to do the due diligence about it. Does it solve your Florida State problem? No. Um, and you know what that looks like in nine months. I don't know yet. That's fair. One question that I, I feel like I've had is and people have been trying to figure out, you know, TV markets, what is adding something like that. When you get into a, a state like California or like Texas, if they add an SMU, are you getting the entire state or are you getting just, you know, the Bay area sort of network Dallas, Fort Worth, or is it just, or is that a, it depends sort of thing? Yeah. The, the, the crappy answer is that it depends. And, it, and it's very different in 2023 than it was in, in 2013, 2014. Right? right. So from the ACC's perspective, when you're talking about adding schools or adding markets, there's, there's two things that you kind of have to think about. You get paid if the ACC network is added to basic cable or, or basic streaming packages in different markets. And if there is a market or city that already has a bunch of ACC grads or ACC fans and you add a, a school in there, um, they may potentially add the ACC network to that base package. And then every subscriber gets the ACC network, you know, 80 cents or two bucks or whatever the number is. Right. <laughs> this was the biggest reason why the big 10 added Rutgers yes. because they knew that they could, they could staple BTN to every uh, cable subscriber in the tri-state area, even if they never watched a football game ever um, because of Rutgers. That's not the world we live in as much now. My understanding is that adding Cal and Stanford may help with some of the distribution for the ACC network and, and provide a little bit of money. But but generally, given that it's already on Comcast, I think it's already on a couple of nationwide plans, there's not a ton of other places where you can go that's going to dramatically change what you're going to get there. So then the other financial area is, is about ratings um, and it's about uh, or people willing to pay for ESPN plus or an ACC plus digital you know, component to watch these events. Are they going to tune in enough to uh, drive ad sales or, 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 or drive interest from from broadcast partners? And there the market is is more relevant. It's more about the brand and the fans themselves. So like as an example, Adding San Jose State would theoretically get you into the Bay Area television market, right. but no disrespect to any Spartan fans listening here, you've got 18 fans. 
And that's not going to drive ratings or interest or anything else. And so then that becomes less relevant. So in most cases, chasing a market is not going to be as helpful. There are some exceptions when it comes to getting into a fourth television window and and moving inventory into there. But, But broadly speaking, it's better to have a program with lots of fans and dedicated interest in a smaller area than it is to get rice. You know, a you know, big, huge market, tiny brand. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So I, you mentioned kind of getting a different, uh, like a four different window for ESPN, which I think is kind of the reasoning we see a, a team like Stanford or Cal even being floated out there. Because I think right now ESPN doesn't have a single window for that 10 o'clock slot. I just, feel like we're it's just WCC basketball right now. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I, I think we're at a bit of a, of a standpoint right now, a standstill where, you have ESPN, not so much bleeding money, but Disney is trying to offload them. They're trying to figure out what to do with them. You have the Pac-12 that kind of said, hey, we want nothing to do with the mostly streaming deal. The Big Ten said that as well. We don't want a huge streaming component to our deal. You have all these bills coming up, whether it's Notre Dame is coming up for NBC or whoever wants to get into there. The Olympics, you have the NBA wanting to triple their billion-dollar revenue. But right now, we don't know what's going to happen with cable or versus streaming. Like Everyone thinks streaming's great, but right now everyone's complaining that they're paying about the same as cable for 17 million streaming services. What's next in terms of where are we? Is this going to be times a flat circle? Is this going to be we're just going to power through and go straight to the Apples and the Amazons of the world? What's what's next? I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like if I, if I knew the answer to that. I wouldn't be selling an $8 a month newsletter. I'd be in a very <laughs> different business, right? I'd go work for Morgan Stanley. Um, the best I could tell is that, yes, the traditional linear cable business is in decline. And it's been in decline for several years. It's not dead yet. Um, it's still a service where it's worth paying for premium sports inventory because it's the only thing that's TiVo-proof. Um, the problem is that everyone has less money than they had a couple years ago. Like the assumption 2014, 2015 was, Hey, when these deals are ending in you know, the the middle of the 2020s, Apple and Netflix and Facebook, these big tech companies are going to overspend to enter this market. They're the ones that have more cash that's being hoarded. And it's going to drive up rights for everybody because, because television rights have, uh, have media rights have gone nothing but up for almost everybody. And what happened this year is interest rates went up and a couple of these streaming companies missed revenue projections and their board freaked out and said, we have been throwing you know, cheap money to buy market share. Now I need you to actually make money, money, right. which meant, <laughs> meant that everybody had to be way more financially disciplined with, with how they purchased rights. When, with, with, so Apple and Amazon are not paying nearly as much as what they, they thought they were, the people thought they were going to be paying a couple of years ago. ESPN Plus and Paramount Plus and HBO Max, like this stuff doesn't make money. Everybody loses money on this. They're just trying to buy market share for whenever the cable business is in such decline that it has to move to this model. But that's really been a significant downward pressure on on media rights pricing, especially if you're a nice to have, not a need to have. Big Ten and SEC football are have to haves. Um, the, The NCAA tournament is a have to have. I don't know if ACC football is probably not if Pac-12 football is. And I don't think there's, there's, you know, there's, there's an enormous difference. There's some difference, but not necessarily an, an, an enormous one, but you have a long-term contract. So this is a long way of saying here, like there's a lot of turbulence 
And something that looks like a can't miss deal now might not be in three years. Um, certainly the, the ACC contract looks garbage now, but it didn't look so bad when you got, when you got a network um, and, and some stability, right? And quite frankly, the product sucked you know, earlier in the, in the 2010s for you to, to pull the trigger faster. Like, you know, right. the, these new additions didn't do what they were supposed to be doing. So I would just say that a, it, there's a lot of uncertainty and that makes it really hard. I think for anybody to feel super confident about the deal that they're doing, because we don't know whether ESPN is a joint Comcast, Apple, Disney venture in three years um, or what happens to some of these tech companies, or quite frankly, what happens to CBS or NBC? I wouldn't be shocked if maybe one of them was purchased by somebody else. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Before we put a little bow on this, one last thing on Florida State Clemson. I know there's a lot of talk between their fans, and you open up Twitter, and it's, it's you know what, ESPN is going to break them out of the grant of rights, so that way they don't go to the Big Ten. Then you have the other side of things. We're going, why would ESPN ever pay more money for a product they already own? Where do you kind of stand on that sense of, because I, I, don't, I don't think anyone really thinks Clemson or FSU are going to be here in 2030 or 2032. I think in the next three to four years will be gone. Yeah. But is there any sort of incentive for an ESPN to break them out of their contract, whether it's to keep them underneath the umbrella or to just say, screw it, we don't care about the ACC anymore? I don't think so because ESPN is getting ACC content right now under a long-term deal under market. Like it's it's a very pro ESPN arrangement. Ripping that to shreds only makes sense if they're going to really make it up on the on the top end. And remember, ESPN is not a partner of the Big Ten, um, so they can't break this deal and force you know if Florida State joins the Big Ten and gets out. You know that doesn't help ESPN at all. Um, it would help Fox, uh, who's not a partner to this, but you know the, they don't have five hundred million dollars to to, to, pry, <laughs> to to pry them out here, right? I mean, for Florida State, the other challenge here beyond the uh, the finance side here is who takes them. And this is why I don't think fans necessarily fully appreciate it. It's very possible that the Florida State knows something here that we don't. But Greg Sankey's been pretty public about we don't really need to expand anymore. And the change that doesn't really add more eyeballs. Like it adds some, but not that much more for Florida State. And it brings other complications because expanding beyond 16 teams is hard. And there's a lot of political reasons why the Big Ten doesn't want to mess with this. They understand that, hey, for population-wise, you want to be in Florida. But they just added, um, you know, three big public schools and big old baby blue states with a bunch of of big liberals as their regents and governing everything here. Remember, these leagues are governed by presidents. Is now the time you want to go bring in a Ron DeSantis-like operated public institution in Florida? And like, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be a political troll here. I'm saying we saw what happened with COVID and the Big Ten really tore the league apart. It's already going to be hard enough to manage all this when you've got Nebraska and Iowa and Ohio State with increasingly partisan red state governors and and boards of education being involved. You bring in a culture war oriented government for a school like Florida State. What happens if, uh, you know, uh, if there's a, a trans athlete in college sports bill? Or something that comes up about college athlete employment, where some of these states might be right to work or aggressively anti-union and then trying to craft an, a, a conference-wide response becomes challenging. Or, or something about LGBTQ issues. The time to add a Florida State is when the heat dies down a little bit. And, and the timing to do this and spend all this money, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense to me. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. 
That's fair. Uh, so one of the big reasons I subscribe to Matt is, well, there's two big reasons. One of them just kind of came really big. One of them is the NCAA football game. Staple of my childhood. It's one of the best things I've ever played, no matter how bad of a game it was. While there are certain things that are going to stay behind the paywall, Matt, is this thing being released next summer? What, what am I getting with this? Yes, it's <laughs> going to be released this summer. And it's a little frustrating for me because like, that's always been the case. It's been the case since EA Sports announced the delay, I don't know, but last November. And I know that, that like a bunch of people have been writing these clickbaity articles about how, oh my gosh, the Brandar lawsuit and player NIL is going to delay the game. Like, no, I can tell you, <laughs> I'm super in bed. I super plugged into the licensing world. I talked to developers at EA. Their VP of communications has been very adamant about this. This shit's coming out next July. <laughs> Don't relax. Like, you want to worry about the game being good? You can do that. It's, it's an EA game. I get it. I've played EA games before, too. You don't <laughs> have to worry about the game being delayed. Okay. So with, the, with, the, with it being good, are we getting a Madden skin that just has a bunch of fun colors of it? Or is it actually going to be a different game? That's kind of that's one yeah. of the things so, people want to know. What I, what I can tell you is that if this game was going to be a pure Madden reskin, it would be out already. Okay. The reason it was delayed in the first time was not because of licensing issues. And I've heard this directly from people on that team. It's because... It's not an NCAA football game. It's an EA college sports football game. It's a, it's a different franchise. And you only get one chance to make a new impression, particularly on new next generation of consoles. Like the last one of these games was on the Xbox 360. None <laughs> of that code architecture still works. And so they realized we need more time to make the game actually good. Uh, what I can, I know from my reporting, I know from talking to people on that side that they're making taking great pains to make the game as realistic a depiction of modern college football as possible from NIL to a revamped recruiting system to new digitally uh, 3d rendered stadiums to trying to replicate the exact audio experience of being at a game. Like I'm talking, getting the same third down sounds and student chants and what games are being, what music's being played during pregame is a bunch of minute detail. They could be doing all that, and the gameplay might suck. I mean, I, I can't spoil <laughs> that. I can't promise you that. What I can say is that if this game is going to be good or bad on its own merits. It's not going to just be Madden 23 with featuring special musical guests Ohio State. <laughs> Before I get to the last question, uh, I do want to ask, talk about FOIA and just like, which if you don't know what that is, essentially Matt Brown just sits here every morning or every two mornings and just files a bunch of reports from schools saying, hey, give me whatever information you can give me. How annoying is that to do? And how annoying is it that you don't get to do it for all the private schools as well? Oh, it totally sucks that I don't get to do it for the private schools. Some public schools, I can't do it either. Really? So FOIA stands for the Freedom of Information Act, which is actually a federal law. But every state has their own version of what's, of what's called an Open Records Act. And, and what this means, you know, I think people should know, is it allows journalists or private citizens to inspect public records. So if you want to see your governor's emails, or if you want to see how much your city government is paying for a vendor, you can file a request and get that information. Now, in college sports, these are mostly public schools and athletic departments are mostly you know, part of, part of, the, of, of, the, of the, that system, which means that athletic director emails and coach contracts and vendor agreements are all public. So I have a directory, and it's not up now, but it will be up this week. Right. That's literally just, here's every itemized budget from division one to division two that we've been able to recover 
Here's every athletic director contract. Here's all the head coaches across all these different sports. A lot of pure research. Every shoe deal, every multimedia rights deal, which we, I spent a lot of time trying to get because I work with uh, researchers, people at business schools who are like, you know, writing papers about earning revenue or about, uh, you know, governance and everything and MBA types and they need this data. Like I'm not always doing it to be, you know, be invasive. But this tool also helps you I think understand in real time how people make decisions because you can get internal emails. You can put together a TikTok of what fans are telling the school or how, what, how, what, how people are internally uh, grappling with the decision and then, and then reaching a final decision. And that's how I get a lot of information about this video game. That's how I get information about licensed products. That's how I get information about revenue and a lot of the nuts and bolts of how this world works. Um, I am not perfect at it and I'm just one guy I will say that I have built some some custom built some software tools to allow me to f- file a lot of requests to a bunch of schools at once, but I can't do it for everybody. You know, like in the North Carolina system, you have to go to an online portal and you have to set up a different account and I can't do UNC and ECU and NC State at the same time. Okay. So like it is part, I, de- I do dedicate time every week to file stuff. Um, and I know that there's some, there's some clerks at some of these schools who are like this bleeping guy. And, <laughs> but I'm like, well, I mean, you could, I'm not doing it to be a jerk, man. I'm just trying to do my job. You could just see, see me the documents. That I wouldn't yeah. Want. BCC which, me on it. We're going to be fair. A couple of schools do this now. Yeah. We're like, Hey, Matt, here's the coach contract. I'm just going to give it to you. So yeah. save us like, Great. God bless you. Um, that, and, and that's, 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 a, that's part of this gig to, to help get people more information. So last thing for you, you mentioned building software. There has been a really, really fun game that myself and athletic directors and people have started enjoying. And it is the, I want to get the name specifically right because very yeah, good. Athletic, the athletic Director Direct- Simulator 3000. What is this? How can I get this? Why is this fun? <laughs> yeah. So what this is, is a joke that became something real. So like, you know, I'm not a computer programmer by trade. Um, I'm, I'm just another dork on the internet. But you know, about a year ago, I started learning a little bit of Python because I thought right. that that might help me with some data analysis. So I'm looking over the, these gigantic budgets and, and recruiting spreadsheets, right? And like any good student when they're learning the program, one of the first things you do to kind of see if you understand how to work a couple of different like functions or loops is write a game. So I wrote this very simple, stupid text game called <laughs> Athletic Director Simulator. And like the way you won was by buying extra point subscriptions, right? Like it wasn't like a real thing, but our readers loved it. And what surprised me wasn't that a bunch of other Reddit dorks loved it, but that some ADs loved it. And so like my boss was saying, we gave you eight grand. Could we make this a real game? Could you like go bring in some external developers? And can you like write some pseudocode and turn this into something? Um, so that's what we did. And uh, what it is, it's a game that looks like a 1983 version of Oregon Trail, like real five and a half inch floppy disk energy, eight bit audio, black and green graphics, and mostly text. But it is about where you have to navigate over a hundred scenarios that we've vetted with real ADs and real coaches and real professionals that an administrator might face from a low major, from an Elon to an ECU to a UNC, uh, where you manage your budget, you manage your director's cup ranking, you manage your support. And you have to deal with fundraising and, and angry parents and a coach gets a DUI and conference realignment and all of this <laughs> crazy stuff. Some of that seems silly, but the silly ones are based on real scenarios. And it lets you, the player, figure out, okay, smart guy, like, let's see you do it. 
And we built the game to be so realistic that there's not a right answer. Or rather, there's not a perfectly right answer. They're all weighted probabilities. Because I think it's important for fans and ADs to understand is that you can't guarantee good results with good process. Over time, good process will usually lead to good results. But you can, you guys can hire Hugh Freeze and it might work for three years. <laughs> we know how it's going to end. But, you know, bringing in Hugh Freeze or Bobby Petrino or whatever sometimes works in the short term. You right. can do everything perfectly and you can end up like Oregon State or your coach just doesn't work out and, and maybe the AD gets fired. That's life, too. And that's the game. We, we built it primarily to serve our student audience because we, we do curriculum support for sports management students. But anybody who's a paid subscriber can play the game. And um, it's been a lot of fun to develop <laughs> this and update it and, and see how people are engaging with it. And I, I think it's kind of scratching an itch that maybe the, the Internet needed. Yeah. I mean, I've had a ton of fun with it. I've also had a ton of fun with this conversation. Matt, thank you. Before we leave, how can people find you? How can people sign up for the newsletter? Where, what, what, how can they just figure out to get to you more often? You bet. You can find me on Twitter, when I'm probably hanging out there when I should be doing reporting at Matt Brown EP. You can find Extra Points at extrapointsmb.com. You can subscribe there for free and get two newsletters a week, or you can pay the eight bucks to get everything, get the FOIA directory, get the video game, uh, the whole works, and help support independent sports writing. That's great. Matt, thank you so much. As always, go Deeks. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.